DJ, PK, and John Pessa, author of Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask about Yogi Berra. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Please visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. John, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. So, I grew up in Southern California with a dad who baseball was his number one sport, and he was a Brooklyn Dodger fan growing up in San Diego. I don't know. And when they moved to L.A., but he knew all about the Yankees and the Giants. And he talked about Yogi Berra, and he talked about Mickey Mantle, and he talked about Duke Snyder and all these guys. But for a lot of people listening to this right now, it's way before their time. What about Yogi Berra makes him relevant today? Why is the Yogi Berra story important for someone to learn now who is a couple generations removed from ever seeing him play? Well, I mean, Yogi Berra is sort of uh, um, woven into our fabric. I mean, every, everyone knows who Yogi Berra is, even if you didn't watch him play baseball. Um, whether it's the sayings, whether it's upstaging the Aflac Duck on, on his commercials, uh, whether he's uh, leading the, the New York Philharmonic after 9-11 to raise funds for New York City. I mean, he's just a part of, of, of America and really um, a big part of, of uh, believing in the American dream. It came from, uh, um, you know, Depression-era uh, St. Louis and becomes in the 50s just about the most famous man in America. Well, I grew up in New Jersey, was born in Orange, right down the street from Montclair, and my mother's Italian, so Yogi Berra has been a big influence in our lives here because of what he stood for. There's so many things that I can go into in this interview. I'll start it off. I've been reading the book. I'm not all the way through, but the just the idea of how he got the name through... Uh, yogis in India, but he was he was called Laudy because his immigrant parents couldn't pronounce Larry. All sorts right. of funny stuff there. Tell us about Lawrence, that. right? I mean, he grew up in uh, you know it's called the Hill in St. Louis, which is um, uh, not predominantly, almost exclusively Italian. In fact, Italian was what was spoken um, in his in his neighborhood. His mother never. Uh, um, Learned how to speak English. She understood it. So you know, Italian was was it. And the the big thing about about getting the nickname uh, Yogi is that the, the great Branch Rickey, who brought Jackie Robinson in and was credited with developing the farm system and was supposed to be the greatest talent evaluator of all time, passed on uh, on Lordy Barra. Didn't think he was going to make it. Told him to his face he would be no more than a Triple A baseball player. Um, he didn't make many mistakes, but that certainly was was a big one. Yogi goes into uh, American Legion ball for two years, and uh, that's where a friend who eventually makes it to the New York Giants as a as a utility infielder um, saw a movie um, with Yogi's in it. Said that's uh, Yogi looks like that when he uh, with his arms folded and his legs folded before he hits. So I'm going to call him Yogi which was one of the greatest gifts anyone ever gave anybody because, you know, first-name basis with America is rare, and, you know, Yogi Berra has it. 15-time All-Star, 14 World Series. He won 10 of them. What made him such a winner? Okay, timing's got to be part of it because you got to have the, the whole team in baseball and you have the pitching and all that, but he was there for so much of it. What, what was his biggest contribution to all that winning? I'll tell you the the you know one of the things that 
that people overlook, and, and I certainly did. I, I got Yogi when he was a backup outfielder. I was born in 52, saw him in 60. Um, he was a, back, a backup outfielder, still a really good hitter. Uh, my father was a huge Yankee fan, and Yogi Berra was his favorite player, so you kind of figure out why I ended up writing this book. And he told me that this guy was one of the most dynamic players he'd ever seen. So I really wanted to go back, look at the clips, watch the, the video clips about him. And from 49 to 53, the Yankees win five straight World Series championships. And uh, that was the end of DiMaggio's career. Um, the beginning of Mantle's career, the dominant player on that team was Yogi Berra, 20-plus home runs, 100-plus RBIs, 290 to 320 hitter. But the thing that I think answers your question the most is the guy was an unbelievable catcher, uh, which, which he always credited to Bill Dickey because he wasn't much of a catcher until Dickey, Dickey got a hold of him in 49. And once he fixed all of Yogi's uh, mechanical flaws, um, out comes this great catcher, and Yogi had like a, a photographic memory. He could tell you how they got Al Kaline out four years earlier with man on second, two outs in the seventh inning. Um, he was like a computer before there were computers. And the, pit, the pitching staff, who didn't like pitching to him at the beginning, just sat back and, and everything the guy called, they, they, uh, they took. And Don Larson, who pitched a perfect game in, in, the, uh, in the World Series, told me, Yogi called 97, 96 pitches. I threw every one of them. Wherever Yogi put the mitt, that's what I hit. We were both in his own, and that's why we had a perfect game and laid so much of the, uh, of the credit uh, on his catcher. So you speak of Yogi Berra's intelligence, and it was interesting in reading that he desperately wanted out of high school. Or school. He just wanted out. He wanted to drop out. His father was saying, what are, what are you talking about baseball? I mean, that, the, that's a bum's game. Uh, you need to go get a job and support a family. And his older brothers then, along with the priest over there, St. Ambrose on the hill uh, in that area. I've been over there. It really is. It's, 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 fi- it's as fine a little Italy place as I've ever been, actually. Oh, absolutely. Just, I, I, yeah. I love my time there. Yeah, and... So he gets him, and all these people get involved to commit to uh, allowing his father to get him to go uh, away, so uh, out of school, because basically that's all he wanted to do was to play ball. And even though Garagiola, his across-the-street neighbor on Elizabeth Street, obviously I've been on that street, uh, was the more higher-rated prospect at the time, it seems like reading is that Yogi really never lost faith that he could do what he eventually did. He had a he had an inner confidence in his ability that, despite Branch Rickey's telling him he couldn't play, despite walking into clubhouses and the clubhouse men took one look at him and thought he was there for a tryout, so gave him old ratty uniforms. Um, despite so many people telling him he was never going to make it, he had this incredible inner confidence that that he could do it. If you took a look at the guy, it looked like he was put together with spare parts, good spare parts, but you know his arms were long, his torso was long, his, his short stubby legs, he had shoulders that hit his neck. I mean, this guy looked more like a wrestler than a baseball player. And as, as you mentioned, across the street, neighbor Joe Garagiola, you know, by the time he was 15 years old, is six foot, 170 pounds, good looking, um, uh, looked like a baseball player. Yogi looked, you know, like I said, more like a wrestler. But once he got on the field, um, 
all the doubts disappeared. I mean, the guy hit the ball incredibly hard. You couldn't get anything by him because he was a great bad ball hitter and um, just a just a phenomenal, phenomenal player that so many people underrated. Winning's critical, and being talented is critical, but to become the guy that you were describing earlier in this interview with Yogi, he had to have something in his personality that really connected with people. So where does the, where does the charm, where does the sizzle, where does all that personality come from? Well, I think, well, actually, there, there's, there's two yogis. I mean, the one, the, the, the public yogi, who is funny, talkative, um, and, and on the field, that was true. He wouldn't stop talking to batters at the plate. He had a running commentary every game with the umpires. Off the field, I talked to people who were his teammates. I talked to his friends growing up. I talked to the people who he, he uh, lived with the last 30, 40 years of his life in Montclair, New Jersey. Off the field, Yogi was quiet to the point of almost being shy. Um, so there, there really was two different, um, two different people there. I think what made Yogi special was he took so much abuse, verbal abuse, um, for a good chunk of his life and, and his career, um, as well as discrimination for being an Italian-American, which I didn't understand until I did the research, just how much discrimination uh, that he faced. And I think, well, that kind of abuse, and I'm talking about um, columns in the New York Times titled Nature Boy, having his, his own coach, manager, call him the ape. I mean, things like that, ugliest man in baseball. While some people might turn bitter, Yogi looked at it and always treated people the way he wanted to be treated. And I, and I really do think that was a secret to his success for being uh, as beloved as he was. The guy just never wanted to talk about himself, never put anybody down, was just the, just the nicest guy and somebody that was like just your neighborhood person. You talk about how he was this little stumpy dude, uh, but uh, one of the things that displayed his athletic ability and got some notice is I think it was in Legion Ball. He once stole home without even sliding. Without even sliding. The 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 incredible thing about yoga that nobody um, ever ever thought. Uh, yeah, when you think of yogi, is he was fast. I mean, he was he. You know, you didn't have to pinch run for him. You know, you used to have to pitch run for catchers in the, in the late innings if you were down a run or so. Guy could go first or third with anybody. He played the outfield for a long time. And he was uh, surprisingly fast, had a great arm, very quick. Uh, but he, you know, he was just an all-around terrific athlete. I talked to all of his friends, excuse me, all the friends I could find growing up on the hill, um, you know, about five or six people who were still around in their 90s. And they said anything this kid picked up, any field that he stepped on, he was automatically the best player from day one. So when you talk to all these people, what are some of the smaller anecdotes about his life that really stuck with you? Well, I'll tell you, one was uh, he was a natural right-handed hitter, and his brothers, who, as you mentioned, convinced his father to let him get the chance that they didn't. Yogi, to his dying day, uh, insisted that his oldest brother, Tony, was the best player in the family. Um, they told him, hey, if you want, if you want to make the pros, uh, left-handed hitters uh, uh, have a better chance. So he just turned around and batted left. Um, so uh, he also came very, very close to 
being a uh, an outfielder um, after the 1948 season, which is two years into his career. Uh, he um, finished the year 50 games in, in right field, and everyone wrote, and Yogi even agreed that his days as a catcher were over. And they, it turns out the manager was fired in an argument with the general manager. Casey Stengel is hired. He brings back Bill Dickey specifically to coach Yogi Berra because, you know, back in those days, if you hit 230, knocked in 40 runs, but called a good game, you're, you were a 12-year veteran a catcher. And he figured, if I got a guy who can do that, plus the kind of hitter he is, then I really have something special. One, one I'll leave you with one last one. I think um, in, just in case um, your listeners don't remember the incident at the, at the Copacabana, there was a big fight there uh, with a bunch of Yankees and late at night and a bunch of bowlers who were heckling Sammy Davis Jr., and Yogi was there, and they were all fined, um, and it just stuck with them the whole year. Well, Yogi didn't want to go that night. He was in a slump, and he wanted to just stay home, and his wife, Carmen, convinced him to go. And she felt bad about that for years and years afterwards, knowing that had she listened to her husband, he would have been sleeping at home instead of being with Mickey Merrill, Billy Martin, and Whitey Ford in the headlines of a huge fight at the uh, Copacabana Club in New York. This really doesn't have anything to do with anything, but it entertained me. When he was in the minor leagues the year before he went in the service, he was living in a boarding house with a pitcher, and they're paying 7 bucks a week. And the pitcher's name was Bob Sucky. That's got to be an awful name to be a pitcher, right? You <laughs> I've heard a lot of bad, game, uh, bad names, but um, coming into pitch, uh, Bob Sucky. Not, not exactly something that's going to get the fans on their feet uh, clapping for, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> but back then, I mean, you know, that was right before the uh, Actually, the war was going on when Yogi played in Norfolk. Norfolk is the head of the of the uh, uh, for the Navy, and uh, this little town suddenly is. Uh, you know, bustling with with uh, workers and sailors, so much so that you couldn't even get into a restaurant. And the ninety dollars a month that Yogi was paying seventy something dollars after taxes, he didn't have enough money for food. And one day he just stages his own um, uh, strike where he just uh, falls down, rolling on the floor, saying his stomach hurt and he couldn't play. And his manager, uh, his other catcher, was hurt. And he looks at Yogi, figures out what's happening, reaches in the pocket, gives him a couple of bucks, and says, go out and get yourself a, you know, a hot dog, hamburger, and, and a Coke, and then come back and catch, which is exactly what he did. Yeah, I read that, too. Now batting, sucky. <laughs> <laughs> Number 21, sucky. You would think that if you're going to become a, prof- a professional ball player, that you might think about changing your last name. Had a college uh, roommate who did that. His last name was Feast, and he was tired of Feast's jokes growing up, and he turned 18 and changed his last name to Andrews. So I'm done with there that. There you go. Yep. Well, John, well, we... I mean, Mr. Sucky never really made it into the majors, <laughs> and maybe that was the problem. John, we appreciate a few minutes. Good luck with the book, Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask. A lot of stories. We appreciate it. Thanks. Sure thing. Thank you.